Welcome to the Word Ministry of Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We trust that the following message will be a blessing. Open up your hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you through the preaching and teaching of one of God's choice servants. Hi, family. Are you ready for the Word of God? I'm so excited that we could share God's Word every week together, irrespective of whether we're physically present. Today we want to talk about walking with the other, walking with the other the way Jesus did. I want to read a text in the book of Hebrews chapter 2. It tells us that since the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring or children of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, that's the key. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he can become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to take away the sins of the people. For he himself suffered when he was tempted, and because of that he is able to help those who are being tempted. So Father, we pray that you would give us your understanding and your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So during this epic time in American history in which the protests have outlasted even those of the 1968 uh, protests and riots in over 140 cities after the unfortunate assassination of Dr. King. Um, and we see this as an opportunity for many, many things. And one of the opportunities that America has is to finally confront racism face to face. It's especially a time for Caucasian Americans, whether their ancestors were slave owners or not, to have conversation and to enter into the pain of African Americans who, even though slavery, Jim Crow, black code laws have been long abolished, at least since the 1960s, civil rights laws have been enacted, what white Americans don't understand is there is psychological hangover that still systemically and generationally negatively affects young African Americans, even if they themselves never experienced systemic racism through laws that we saw abolished, as I said, in the 1960s. And so what I want to talk about today is what the Word of God teaches about entering into the life of the other. Uh, and how we ought to be like Jesus, who the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verse 14, that even though he was God, it says the Word, as God, became flesh and dwelt among us. We read that the reason why he did that, it says in Hebrews 2, was so that he can feel the infirmity and the pain that we feel. And uh, he's our example. The Bible admonishes us to walk the way Jesus walked to be conformed to the image of Christ. That means if we see a segment of our population suffering, or even if it's only one person, as a Christian, we are called to enter into their pain. Instead of just giving immediate answers, solutions, 
or even dealing with causation or root issues, the first thing we ought to do is enter into their pain, understand their personal story, the general narrative of black America before we could have even any meaningful dialogue. And so we need to understand before we can make ourselves understood, before we give our own opinions, before we give solutions. We need to enter into their life and their pain. And I have enough friends in the African-American community to understand that there has been tremendous amounts of pain and even ways they've had to teach their children to survive on the streets, even in dealing with the police, even though I'm very much pro-police, uh, African-American young men had to be taught how to act every time a policeman approached a car when they were pulled over for, for any particular violation or just to check them out. And so there's a way that they had to live that we will never understand if our color, if the pigmentation of our skin is lighter and we don't look like an African-American. And so whether we understand it or not, we need to enter into dialogue and we need to show love. and We need to identify with their plight, even in the way Jesus identified with us. Jesus didn't say, hey, I want to wait until you're perfect. I want to wait until you get your act together. I want to wait until you have ideological or political agreement with me. Then I'll come. Then I'll become a human. Then I'll die for you. No. Uh, if someone gets hit by a car, you don't ask them if they're a Republican or a Democrat. You don't ask them if they're gay or straight. You immediately should rush if you're a conscientious citizen. If you're a Christian, you should rush to their aid. Be there for them in their pain and do anything needed to help them in their process of recovery. And it's the same way with the unfortunate murder of uh, George Floyd, which was a public execution that shocked America, shocked the world, causing not only unrest in America, but global protests. Everybody should now ask the question, what can I do to ease the pain of African Americans? And what can we do as a nation to improve in many, many areas? Um, but when it comes to how to live, Jesus laid it out in what many scholars call the Beatitudes. And I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, he tells us that he called us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's Matthew 5, 13 to 16. But he gave us prerequisites for that. It's so easy for us to say, yeah, we want to change the world. We want to influence the world. We want to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. But he gives us a process and character attributes that we need to walk in. And it's not just political engagement. That's part of it. It's not just having good ideology. It's not just even having a biblical worldview. That's all part of it. But it also it has to do with empathy, mercy, and having uh, the right heart towards fellow humans. If you have the right doctrine, but the wrong heart and wrong attitude, the Bible says if you don't have love. Whatever you do, even if you give your body to be burned, it means nothing. And so this is a way to walk out a kingdom life, to walk in love and to understand the other 
in our life. And in this context today, when I say the other, I'm referring to people who don't look like us. It could be a white person to a black person or a black person to a white person, etc., 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 going down the list of ethnicity. And unfortunately, even though we all have the same uh, blood, basically, I can get a blood transfusion from anybody, even though we all deal with the same issues, even though our differences are only skin deep, because we all come from the same parents, Adam and Eve, there is no such thing as different races. There is not a mongoloid race or a negroid race or a Caucasian race. There's only one human race. And the Bible says that we all have that common humanity. And so even though that's true, there has been a history of ethnic prejudice. It's nothing new in the U.S. It's been going on for millennia. And as Christians, we need to stand against it and understand that all of us are made in God's image. I spent years working to understand the plight of black America in the early 90s because God called me to be a reconciler to help bring unity to the broken and divided body of Christ in the early 1990s. It was a time, believe it or not, when we were even further divided in the church, not just on Sunday, but on Monday. And through a lot of the work that uh, many of us did in the 90s and early 2000s, we have tremendous unity amongst the pastors, irrespective of ethnicity. But it took a lot of work. And the key is understanding the Beatitudes. And so in Matthew chapter 5, it says that Jesus opened his mouth, verse 2, verse 3, and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In the Gospel of Luke, when he deals with the Beatitudes, I think it's in chapter 6, he doesn't say poor in spirit, he actually says the poor, meaning material poor. So if it's referring to those who are poor in spirit, what Jesus is saying, in order to be the salt of the earth and light of the world, in order to walk out the kingdom, we need to know that in ourselves we are impoverished. We have to be poor in spirit. We have to believe that we need God's riches. We need God's strength. We need God's abundance. If you think that you're rich, if you think that you have everything, and have need of nothing, it tells us in Revelation 3, then you have to understand you're poor, miserable, blind, and naked. And God says, I admonish you to purchase from me gold refined in the fire. Uh, he tells the lukewarm church in the book of Revelation. So poor in spirit means we know that we need God to fill us every day, that in and of itself, in ourselves, we have nothing. And we need Jesus desperately. But if it means the materially poor, Jesus isn't saying it's good to be in poverty. What he's saying is the kingdom of God is so great. It's so profound. It brings in such a new law that transcends the natural order that even if you are at the lowest of the low in society when it comes to economics, even if you are the poorest of the poor, and in those days the peasants lived below the pale of anything we could even fathom when it comes to poverty. The poor people in America live better than most rich people in parts of the world today. And the poor people in America 
uh, lived a lot better than the peasants of the days of Jesus because they didn't have welfare, they didn't have social security, and if the family members weren't around, they basically could starve. And so when Jesus said that even those people are blessed in the kingdom, what he's saying is even if you are at the lowest point of your life materially, when it comes to quality of life, when it comes to living uh, in a way that preserves your safety, even if you're at the bottom of the list, God says you're still blessed. I have the ability to bless you if you follow me, serve me abundantly. And by implication, it means he could also lift you out of systemic poverty, break generational curses, and bring you to a place where you are going to be able to serve him without uh, worry or fear, as he tells us in the next chapter. Don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. He said the Gentiles seek after that, but first seek my kingdom and all these other things I'll add to you. So that's what he's talking about. Even the poorest of the poor will be blessed if they follow the kingdom. The next verse, verse 4, he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Those who mourn are those who have empathy. And this fits the issues at hand today where the nation has been grieving. In the Old Testament, uh, they would grieve, they would mourn, not for three days, but for 40 days. That's how long they grieved for Joseph. That's how long the Jews grieved for Moses. I imagine our nation will continue mourning, repenting, and reacting against the murder of George Floyd for a significant amount of time. I, I, you know, perhaps there's something to the number 40. There's something to a six-week period of processing pain and facing pain. But however long it takes, we are called to mourn. That means to get into the mind of others, to understand their narrative. It means to get into their universe. It means to feel what they feel, even as Jesus came, left his abode in heaven, left his glory, where there's no pain and no sorrow, and he came to feel our pain, to suffer the way we suffer. He's calling us to mourn with those who mourn, weep with those who weep. And this is a time of mourning. This is a time of having empathy. Now, Having empathy is different from sympathy. Black Americans don't need our sympathy. They don't want us to feel sorry for them, but they want us to understand them so that we could have mutual respect, dialogue, and walk in honor. At least the African Americans I know are like that. And the whole idea of mourning is a prerequisite because once you mourn, once you have empathy, once you understand, then after you fully get the picture, or at least you're awakened to a good part of the picture, that's when you will be trusted by the other to speak into them, to possibly give solutions, and most importantly, to partner for a better community. So if we're not willing to mourn, then how can we be trusted with political power, with economic power? How can we be trusted by our neighbor if they think they don't, that we don't even care about them? If they think that we're just going to use our money and power selfishly? And so in order to be the salt of the earth, not just the salt of the church, not just have a nice life for yourself, in order to be the salt of the church, 
We need to have empathy. And there are some people, unfortunately, they lack empathy. They have some ideas, they have some absolutes, and they have some correct doctrine. But it will fall on deaf ears with a large, seg large segment of the population if they don't trust you and if they don't think you care. The next thing Jesus said, now all of these are prerequisites to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. It can't just be winning elections. It can't just be public policy. It can't just be having right doctrine, although all of that is important. Next thing he said is, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Who are the meek? The meek are those who are not trying to push their own agenda. They're the ones who are not trodden upon, but the ones who are trying to work for God's best, God's kingdom, God's agenda, and for the good of their city and their community. The meek are those who are not trying to be in the front, who are not trying to hog the television camera. There are some uh, leaders I know that every, they're definitely um, addicted to television cameras. Every time there's a camera, they're going to be there. Uh, the meek are those who just want to get the job done, uh, they care more about the other. They care more about what is best for the community or for the church, for the kingdom of God, than for themselves. And they are willing to allow others to get the credit. And if you don't care who gets the credit, and if you want to live so that God gets the glory, there is no ceiling in your life that you even even know about i mean the seal if everyone has a ceiling except jesus but uh, the ceiling will be higher for those who don't care who gets the credit then he says in verse 6 blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for that they shall be satisfied righteousness in this context has to do with the other has to do with the horizontal righteousness if we look at the whole context because he's saying the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Uh, it's not necessarily referring to seeking after God personally and understanding his righteousness, although obviously that's assumed if you don't know God and understand his righteousness, how in the world are you going to walk out righteousness? But in this particular passage, what the main point of the author is uh, we need to want justice. We need a hunger and thirst for people to be treated fairly, for people to be treated correctly. Uh, we want people to have an equal slate, whether it's in education, whether it's in being treated by the police, whether it's in the judicial system, whether it's voting rights, uh, whether it's having women who have the right to uh, live a life uh, where they could have a career and they're not stigmatized just because they are a leader. Uh, righteousness has to do with treating people equally in the eyes of God. And so you could also include public policy. You could also include uh, issues that help break cycles of poverty. And you could also uh, deal with uh, being immersed in the life of a community as a political leader, as a community leader, as a teacher, as a lawyer, as a doctor, as a healthcare worker, uh, or just someone who loves their neighbor. 
And so righteousness has to do with expressing God's love, God's heart, and God's justice to our neighbor. Then he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. How many know that they are the recipients of God's mercy? I think you could all put your hand up. The Bible says all of us, not some of us, not most of us, not 90% of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And we are saved by grace through faith. It is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. And so grace means that it's by God's unmerited favor that he bestows upon us his gifts, which is an aspect or an expression of his mercy. God doesn't treat us the way we deserve. And what God is saying is because I don't treat you the way you deserve and because I died for you, even though you were my enemies, even though you were uh, not reconciled, even though you were wicked in your minds, even though your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, it says in Jeremiah 17. In spite of all that, Christ died for what? The ungodly, it tells us in Romans 5, 9. And so what the Word of God teaches us is mercy triumphs over judgment. It doesn't mean God doesn't judge. It doesn't mean there isn't correction to others and that we don't need law enforcement or anything like that. But it does mean that uh, when in doubt, give mercy. It does mean that we are called the way God has treated us. We are called to treat others better than they deserve. And we are to at least on an individual level, uh, even if it's not talking about judicially, but on an individual level, because he's talking to the church here and believers who make up his body, we ought to be merciful people. I don't want to be known as a judgmental person. Now we are called to judge. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 2 uh, that the spiritual man judges all things. But he says the spiritual man, most of the judgments that come forth are from our carnal nature, are from our own pride, ego, arrogance, or think that we're better than the other. And I'm not just talking about white and black. I'm just talking about in general terms. And that's why Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged, for in the measure you judge, you will be judged back. So we have to judge at times, but just understand this, with the measure and standard you judge somebody, that is the same standard God is going to use to judge you. So that's why we have to judge with great, great caution. And we have to make sure that we're not judging others based on our own unregenerate, unconverted biases and our own issues based on jealousy or envy, but that we are judging righteously with God's heart for them. And it's always going to be that mercy triumphs over judgment. That's the, the scale is always going to be tipped towards mercy because that's who God is. He's a merciful God. And then he says in verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Wow, that pure in heart has to do with people who have the right agenda, the right motives. So many Christians have their own agenda, even Christian leaders trying to build empires because they have a, a need and a desire to accomplish something great. There's even a mythology about legacy. A legacy is built by the monuments that are erected while you're alive, big buildings that you build. The greatest legacy you will ever have is serving others. 
loving others and helping to transform others. The pure in heart are those who have no agenda but God's agenda. One time God shocked me. He astonished me. About 10 years ago, he said, Joe, there are very few people in the earth, and he was including Christians, who really are on my side. Now, there are many Christians who are on God's side when it comes to doctrine, when it comes to ministry. Of course, we're talking uh, about something a bit different. He's talking about really entering into God's heart and desiring what he wants more than what you want. There's very few people who've reached that level of maturity. And once we get to that point where we want God's agenda, where we're on God's side, we're not going to be so focused on what's in it for me. That's what he's talking about with the pure in heart. And then he says in verse 9, very powerful, uh, underrated place for these kind of people that I'm about to highlight. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Somebody say peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And notice he didn't say they are the sons or children of God. He said they'll, they'll be called the sons of God. People are so impressed by those who are peacemakers, by those who could come into a room and calm the storm, by those who understand the perspectives of the other, of opposing views and are able to bring some kind of balance and consensus. People who could be in a community and, and stop riots and, and bring uh, the love of God and bring the peace of God into a community, into a community board meeting or a city council meeting or in Congress. Oh my God, how much we need peacemakers. Uh, peacemakers are those who are able to bring wisdom the way Solomon brought wisdom when two prostitutes are arguing over a baby and he's able to say by the wisdom of God, cut the baby in half so he could discern who the true mother is. These are the people who have the wisdom to take polar opposites and bring some kind of synthesis without compromising truth so that people could work together. And people call those who have that gift and ability peacemakers. At the end of the day, only true Christians can be peacemakers simply because we are the only ones who have the Prince of Peace. So the onus is on us to bring peace to our community, not to incite riots, not to join in with the looting, not to um, empower those who are radically trying to destroy uh, every aspect of our culture and institution and redo it in a radical image. No, we are not called to appease them or to placate them. We are called to bring strength and truth. And only through strength can we have true peace. And only through the wisdom of God and the peace of God in our hearts can God raise up leaders to be peacemakers who will be called the children of God. Then he says in verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, those who are reviled, those who have people speaking evil against them for God's name. Jesus said, your reward is great, so rejoice, because so they treated the prophets that were before you. And so as I wrap up this message today, I'm wondering, do you want to be a peacemaker? You know, we need the police to be peacekeepers. 
if we don't have peacekeepers, like it says in Romans 13, those who are ministers of God's wrath who don't bear the sword for nothing. In other words, God legitimizes certain people to carry weapons, to quell uh, the crime rates, and to bring peace and order. One of the reasons why God chose the Roman Empire, as wicked as it was, to bring the advent of the church was because they had highways, they had a common Greek language, and they had law and order, even though it was by force. The gospel is able to flourish in that kind of environment because uh, criminals were arrested immediately. And so as we understand this, we need to pray for our police. I don't believe we need to abolish the police department, but we do need to reform the police department from within, change not only the culture and the attitudes of some, but also uh, have different policies, which we'll leave to the experts. But I want to end this by saying we need peacekeepers. We do need the military. The reason why uh, the world has uh, advanced in such a way is through the strength of America in many ways. Uh, in some ways, we've abused that, of course, in our history. But in many ways, we've been able to stop totalitarian regimes like the Soviet Union. Can you imagine if the Soviet Union was leading the world? The atheist, unrighteous reg regime, or if there wasn't the United States to counter the horrific uh, Chinese government with the human rights violations that they have, burning down churches, burning Bibles, killing pastors. Can you imagine if the U.S. wasn't strong enough to fight Adolf Hitler, overthrow uh, Mussolini and stop the Japanese army from ravaging uh, Asia and the Pacific. Well, we have to have strength in order to have peace. So we need peacekeepers. But as, as important as peacekeeping is, I believe the main people who are peacemakers are those who have Jesus. The police can only keep the peace that the church creates. What we create in our community, the, the police can uphold. So you are the answer for your community, for your city, for your nation, and even for your family. Don't look for politicians. Jesus said the church is the salt of the earth and light of the world. So as we close today, I'm asking the question now, what are you doing about your need to have an uncomfortable conversation with the other, with somebody who looks different from you? Are you treating people different because they have a darker complexion? If so, you need to repent. You need to let the Lord Jesus Christ heal you of this inherent bias against people who have the same heart, have the same humanity as you. What can you do to speak out. I do believe that if Caucasian Americans don't say something, then we're part of the problem because it looks like we agree with the unfortunate bias against our black brothers and sisters. It doesn't mean that we agree with all the ideology. Uh, there are some radical people like Antifa and the original uh, Black Lives Matter movement 
uh, was started by radicals. Uh, the, the word in turn, Black Lives Matters, now has morphed into mainstream, so most people don't know uh, some of the radical beginnings. So there's nothing wrong with us saying Black Lives Matter. You might say, well, all lives matter. No, we all understand that. We're all made in the image of God. But in this day, in this season, we're focusing on our African-American brothers and sisters because they're the ones hurting. If you were in a block and one person's house went on fire, the fire department is going to come and put the water on that one house on fire. It doesn't mean that house is more important than all the other houses. It means that that's the house in need. That's the house in pain. That's the, the house that needs the attention. Right now, our black brothers and sisters need our affirmation. And I'm so proud of the fact that half of those marching are white Americans. Let the church be in that throng. Let the church's presence be there. And let us, when we have this divine opportunity, be counted among those who speak out against injustice and against, against unrighteousness. Again, it doesn't mean we agree with all the ideology that's out there because some far-left radicals are trying to take advantage of this time. And abolishing the police department and other systemic changes that most of us won't agree with. Don't let that stop you from identifying with the other and loving them because if you don't love your neighbor, how are they ever going to listen to you when you share the gospel? For those of you who don't know Jesus Christ, the greatest chasm right now is not between black and white, it's between humans and God. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you don't know Jesus, I beg you in the name of Christ, be reconciled to God. As important as ethnic reconciliation is, there's nothing more important than you and humanity being reconciled back to God through Christ. Jesus said no one could come to the Father except through me. And so Jesus is the only way the only truth and the only life. He modeled a life of immersion into our life and reconciliation back to the Father. And so he modeled his walk with the Father so that we can have a walk with the Father as well. So if you want Jesus, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, if you believe that three days later he rose from the dead and he is Lord and he is God, why don't you ask him in your life right now? If you want, pray this prayer. It doesn't mean anything because I'm praying it, but if you mean what you're saying, if your mouth and heart align together, if you believe in your heart what you're about to speak with your mouth, the Bible says you will be saved. So why don't you repeat this prayer after me? Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. Thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood, for allowing people to crucify you. I believe that after you were buried, you rose from the dead three days later. I believe you're alive, and because you're alive, come in my life. I want to follow you. I want to serve you. 
Give me the power of your spirit to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'm excited. It's only a decision. But if you continue in God's word, then you will be his disciple. You need to continue now. We're here to help you follow Christ. And if you don't allow us or a church to help you, it's going to be very difficult for you to fall through on the prayer you just prayed. So there's going to be instructions at the bottom of the screen there. And please follow these instructions. Contact us so we could help you in your new journey. God bless you. We trust that you were blessed. For more information regarding our church, please go to our website at www.resurrectionchurchofny.com or call 718-436-0242, extension 0.